Hey everyone, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Carol Ann Flood, and I'm the worship director here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life, or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by His Word, and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in Him. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. If you're watching online, it's great to have you joining with us as well. Uh, so I just have to tell you this, um, and you wouldn't know this, uh, but uh, this morning, actually, everything kind of changed for our, our worship experience that we just got to experience and be a part of together. Um, on the way in this morning, our drummer, who's a, a young guy in his 20s, um, ended up uh, in a car accident, I guess, with the snow. It was with a semi-truck, too. He is okay. Every, he's fine. He's a little shaken up, but uh, everybody's fine and okay. But um, when our team got here this morning, no drummer. So what everybody basically did was they just did, like, musical chairs with the instruments. Everybody just went, okay. So Corey, our worship leader, played drums. Our tech director, Robert, was the one leading worship. Um, things switched over, and Carol Ann played guitar. So... One, uh, I just love that we have that much talent on our, our worship team that they can just do that, uh, which is amazing. But um, even more than the, ta- the talent, what I really love is that our worship team just said, you know what, the plan is to worship Jesus this morning. It doesn't matter who's playing what instrument, we're just going to go for it. And they just figured it out and went for it. Isn't that awesome? And so I just really want to say thank you to them because uh, this was not an easy one to put together this morning. Uh, but I really believe what we sang about the, just now and what we're going to be singing about at the end of the service is so connected to, to what we're talking about. Um, we are in the second week right now of Lent. This is the second Sunday of Lent. And if you're keeping track at home or if you don't know what Lent is, Lent is the 40 days, not including Sundays, leading up to Easter, uh, the Resurrection Sunday, where we celebrate Jesus' uh, death on the cross and his resurrection. And so for Christians, over the centuries, Lent is like a season where we turn our gaze to the cross. We examine ourselves, we examine our hearts, and we begin to think about what Jesus did for us on our behalf and how, what he wants to do in our lives. And so um, we intentionally planned this series that we're in right now to coincide with Lent. So we knew we were looking at the big story of scripture. And so in January, we wanted to talk about creation, the way that we're created, the way that God designed us to live in community with one another and with him. And then uh, in February, we knew we wanted to talk about the fall And so we talked about how sin broke our world and how we are living in this fractured, broken world that we can see all around us because of sin. And then uh, in the month of March and as as we head into Lent, we knew we wanted to spend time talking about the cross. And so this morning we're going to continue our discussion talking about the cross. And so the cross is actually really interesting because when you look at the story of Scripture, the cross raises a really important question about God and about how he created us. And I would tell you, it also raises a really important question for all of humanity, that all of us at some level in our lives have to wrestle with. It might be the most important question we ever wrestle with, and it's this question, can people change? Can people change? Depending on who you ask in our world, you're gonna get quite different answers to that question. 
can people change or are we basically just static and stuck in this world that we live in? In the world of uh, human resources, I remember uh, getting some HR training years ago when we were hiring people here at the church. And so I was getting training from HR people on how to conduct interviews. And so here's kind of the, the like the cardinal principle. Here's the foundational idea that HR people will tell you. And, and this is the statement, the best indicator of what a person will do in the future is what they always have done in the past. That's what they tell you. And so when you're learning to conduct interviews, they say, this is a terrible question. If you say to, to the person you're interviewing, hypothetically, if you found yourself in this situation, what would you do? It's a terrible question, terrible interview question. What they teach you how to do instead is to say, just to frame it differently and basically say, tell me about a time when you were in this kind of a situation and they tell you, and then you say, tell me what you did. And the reason you ask that question is because the best indicator of what a person will do in the future is always what they have done in the past because people don't change. People don't change. They basically just keep repeating the same thoughts and ideas. Once our brains are set, we don't really change. We just, our behavior, everything just basically stays the same. Now, I'm interested in the brain and the way the brain works. And there's this, a lot of writing that's been done in the last few years on the subject of neuroplasticity. Anybody heard that term before, neuroplasticity? A couple of you, it's this idea that as we age, our brains actually have the ability to change and to reform it and create new synaptic connections. But there's this whole pushback and all this argument about the subject of neuroplasticity in the medical community about, is it really that people's brains change or is it just that we learn new information as we get older? Really, that's what it is, right? Because people, people don't change. Once your brain is set, once everything is kind of there, it, it, you don't change. You basically just live out the same thing over and over again. But it's not just a question of, of whether or not we as individuals can change, right? We also, sometimes we think, well, maybe I can change another person. They just ask the young woman who, you know, is dating the guy and she says, when we get married, he'll change for me, right? <laughs> I'll be able to change. I'll be able to tame the wild beast. When we get married, it's all going to be great because he'll change for me. And you know, and I know, the reason you laugh is because that's a recipe for heartbreak and breakdown in relationships and ultimately divorce usually is where that heads because human love really can't change anybody. As wonderful and beautiful as you are, you can't change him. That's not how it works. <laughs> my wife, Carrie, we've been married 23 years and uh, very honestly, when it, it hurts my feelings every time she says this, but uh, every time somebody asks her like, what's the secret to being married for 23 years and being happy? Her answer, literally no joke. She says, I learned a long time ago, the key to happiness in my marriage was to lower my expectations. <laughs> That's what she tells people. <laughs> and as much as that hurts my feelings, sometimes I thought, eventually I started thinking about it. I was like, actually, that's good news for me, right? Because <laughs> that, that kind of lowers the bar on what is expected of me. And so then she's happier. It's great. And so I think about even like some of the expressions that we use in our culture, right? You've heard the once a blank, always a blank, right? We say this like once a liar, always a liar. Once an addict, always an addict. Once a cheater, always a cheater because people don't change, right? Other expressions, yeah, we say things like, uh, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, right? Why? Because I was stupid enough to think that you would actually change because people don't change. So is this as good as it gets? 
Is that what we have to look forward to? Is that our best bet for life is just to kind of lower our expectations and just kind of go, well, I guess this is just as good as it gets. Is that what we have to look forward to? What's interesting is as, as you read the Bible and as you get on the other side of the cross, as you get into the New Testament, the New Testament would say, absolutely not. People absolutely can change. There are so many scriptures that call for transformation and call for change. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. Uh, Romans 12, Nick just referenced it a moment ago, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Christ. Over and over again in the New Testament, the scriptures insist, no, you can be transformed. And in fact, that's what we should expect. We should expect transformation. <laughs> but how? And how does God actually change a human life? And here, here's the basic idea I want us to drill into this morning as we, as we think about the cross. As I would say, among other things, as we're looking in this series, the cross is actually the model for how to approach all change, growth, and transformation. The cross, if you understand really what it is, what if the cross actually is the model for how we change, for how we transform, for how we grow? Jesus seemed to think so. Jesus absolutely believed it was. In fact, what's interesting about the gospels is that long before Jesus ever went to the cross, he talked about the cross to his followers. And he talked to, about how central the cross was to what it, mean, uh, what it meant to be a disciple of his, to what it meant to be uh, formed and transformed and changed you know, as a follower of his. It was, it was at the height of Jesus' popularity, he literally starts talking about the cross. So we're gonna go to Luke chapter nine this morning. That's where we're gonna go. Jesus, literally, he's in the year of popularity. Things are going so well for him. The crowds could have never been bigger that are coming to listen to him. Listen to how he ruins it. He absolutely ruins it. His, his Instagram follower you know, platform is just growing. He's trending on Twitter. And then he says this. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must, dis must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will actually save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? So Jesus literally says to all his followers at the height of his popularity, he says, if you want to be my disciple, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Literally, he essentially says the way to get real life that's true life is to die to it. If you, if you want to change and experience real life, you have to be willing to die to your life, pick up your cross daily for my sake. It's not a great campaign market, marketing slogan, is it? Can you imagine somebody trying to get elected on that? Like, vote for me and you will die. Every day, it'll be death. Ready to go to the polls? I mean, this, is, this just proves my point. I've been saying this for years and years. Jesus really needed better PR people on his staff, you know? He goes around saying this. If you want to follow me, pick up your cross daily and you get to die for me. So I'm making fun of it, but you get it. This smacks in the face of everything we believe as American consumers, right? I mean, this just goes right against the grain of, of you know, customer service and consumer relations. I mean, American consumerism, literally, when you apply it to church, American consumerism says, what are you going to do for me if I join your church? 
actual question I've, I've been asked multiple times. If I become a member of your church, what does that guarantee me? What, what are you going to do for me? If I'm really following what Jesus said, my answer should be, I don't know, I guess I'll just keep telling you to die. To sacrifice and give your life up for other people because that's the way you're actually going to change and transform and experience the real life that Jesus had for us all. That's what you get. You see how the, nobody wants to hear this, right? Nobody wants to hear this message. It doesn't go over easy. Just a spoonful of sugar doesn't help that medicine go down. Nobody wants to hear that. People literally respond, Are you seriously? That's God's wonderful plan for my life that he has for me? To pick up my cross daily and die to myself? Yeah, it, it actually it is. And believe it or not, it actually does work. It actually is the model and the way that we change and we transform. See, oftentimes we don't realize it, but the way we actually grow is by subtraction, uh, by self-denial, by sacrifice. P people who are selfish, as they age, as they get older, they live in a progressively shrinking world where their relationships, their inner circle gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Selfishness drives us to, to only live in a world that's just big enough for us and for our needs and for what we want. And so we get disconnected from others. We get dis disconnected. I would, I would say eventually selfish people, if they live long enough, they eventually become disconnected even from reality. They no longer can even see themselves in a real light. But people who are sacrificial, people who regularly die to themselves in an attempt to say, how do I, how do I look to the needs of others? Their world as they age just gets bigger and bigger and expands more and more and more and has more love, more joy, more hope, more optimism. We, we actually grow because we subtract, because we're willing to step into this and live a life of dying to ourselves and sacrificing for others. <clears throat> so if we know that, that that's really the best way to live, why is it so hard? <laughs> why don't more people do it? Why when Jesus said that at the height of his popularity, people were like, um, just, you know, I'll, I'll be back when you're doing another miracle and giving out some free bread. That'd be awesome. I'll be back then. Why was that the response? Why is it so hard to actually embrace that truth and to live into it? And the, the reason I would say is because we don't drift toward change. We drift toward easy. That's, that's just the truth. We talked in the month of February all about the fall and how ultimately the, the fall of man and sin left us with a broken nature. We have sin nature inside of every single one of us. And so our natural drift is not toward self-sacrifice. It's not toward change. It's not toward uh, dying to ourselves and picking up our cross daily. It's toward what's easy. I don't think anybody's selfish because they want to be. I think we're selfish because we, it's just easy. It's easier. It's the path of least resistance. It's the, the natural direction we just kind of move into. I love uh, what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis was a famous Christian author, and he actually was an atheist. And then when he really examined Christianity and really examined the claims of it, he eventually became a Christian and a follower of Jesus and he said this in one of his most famous, he wrote all these classics of the Christian faith. In God in the Dock, he said, if you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. <laughs> I love that. Because it's so true. It's, it's not, it wasn't, you know, 
the ease and the comfort of Christianity that made C.S. Lewis decide to become a Christian. It was when he really examined what it said and who he was in light of the, the claims of the faith. That's what convinced him. The point I'm trying to make here is, you know, the question we should be asking is not, you know, is the cross, is Christianity, is it easy? Is it comfortable? Does it meet my needs? Does it, is it a good, you know, deal? Do I get the things I want, you know, in exchange? That's not the question we should be asking. The real question we should be asking is, is it true? And does it actually work? Because if the cross is true and it actually does work, and I, I would tell you it, it is and it does, then that's the only thing that matters. All other questions are actually irrelevant. If the cross is truth, if it is the ultimate truth of humanity, if it is the, the way that we ultimately change and are transformed and we find life that's real life, then any other question uh, other than is it true and does it work really doesn't matter. The cross is this invitation to be transformed and changed. And so... Uh, it's not our natural. It's not where we go to. And so the question I just want to wrestle with a little bit here is how should we approach the cross then? Again, if this is not easy, if it's not our natural bent, how should we approach the cross? And so I just want to, in the next few minutes, give you kind of a picture of how we approach the cross and how we allow it to transform and change our lives. Um, the way we should approach the cross is, is to approach it as the blueprint of how we do life in every other area. So the cross wasn't meant to be this, you know, icon that we just sort of get a tattoo of or hanging around our neck. It, the cross is literally supposed to be the blueprint, or maybe another word is the lens by which we look through and we see every other area of our lives. That's what Jesus meant when he said, pick up your cross daily and follow me. He's saying the cross is meant to be the, the lens or the blueprint by which you see how everything else is built in your life and how every, everything else should function and work. This is why Paul said in Galatians 2.20, this follower of Christ who wrote so much of the New Testament, he said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Paul basically says, you know, what, what has it led to, you know, picking up the cross every day and following Jesus? I come to this place where I've been crucified with Christ. I, don't, I no longer live. It's no longer... Paul living his life. It's no longer Brian living his life. That's, that's the goal. It's Christ actually living his life through me. That's the goal. It's where the cross just becomes the blueprint. It becomes the lens through which we see everything else in our lives. So the sooner I die to my rights, the sooner I die to my needs, the sooner I, do, I die to myself, the sooner the life of Christ can begin to live through me. But the longer I hold on to my rights and demand my way, the longer I delay the life of Christ actually taking root in me and living its way out of my life and out of everything that I do. So for a minute, I, this has been really theoretical. Let, let, me, let me just get really practical for a minute. Okay, so I just want to uh, get really practical and just talk about three areas of our lives that we all want change in. Man, if there was like three areas the Bible speaks to that people always are like, man, I wish I could change this about my life. I wish this could change. Let's just look at these three areas of our lives. Um, these are just three examples. You could do a lot more. This these three areas of our lives where we oftentimes want change and talk about how does the cross actually transform those things. So what about um, marriage? Anybody ever wanted to, to change something about their marriage? Those of you who are married? Liars. Okay, yeah, we got a couple honest people. 
probably here by themselves this morning uh, without, yes. So many people, man, if I could just change my spouse or if I could just change myself in my marriage or if I could just change my marriage, that's what we want, right? We, we wish our marriages could change. Ephesians 5, 22 and, and verse 25, we looked at this earlier this fall when we talked about this series on marriage. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And then in verse 25, it says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Did you see what it's saying? Do you see what it's saying to husbands and wives there? It's basically saying the only way a marriage actually changes, the only way it transforms, the only way it gets better is when you have two people who are, who are out of their reverence for Christ, out of their reverence for what Jesus did, they're willing to die for one another. Submitting and sacrificing as Christ did for the church, those are pictures of dying to yourself. In a marriage, the only way it works, the only way it gets healed, the only way it changes over time and gets better and better is if you have two people who every day are saying, I'm, I'm gonna die for this other person. I'm gonna die to myself and I'm gonna die for them, for their needs, for what they want in submission and sacrifice. That's what I'm doing. If a marriage is just a, you know me, 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 me all the time, it just, it dies. Over a period of time, it's just gonna fall apart. It's just gonna disintegrate and it's not gonna last. The cross is the means by which even a marriage transforms. Paul's trying to, you wanna get, you want a better marriage? Let me explain it to you. And he literally, Ephesians 5 just lays out the cross and what Christ did for us. And it's just this picture of, and you do that for each other. <laughs> what about uh, addictions? I was talking to somebody this past week. It's just, if they could, you know, if I could just change this one thing about my life, everything else would get better. If I could just change this addiction, if I could just, change this physical urge that I have. And we, we struggle with all different kinds of addictions. For some of us, they're, they're deadly. They're drugs uh, that could take our lives or alcohol. For others of us, it's food. For others of us, it's, you know, sex or pornography or whatever it is. I mean, so many people wish they could change an addiction in their lives. What does Romans 12, one and two say? I'm, again, Nick referenced it earlier, which is just kind of cool. I want to say it again here. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That's what real worship is. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you, do you see what Paul's saying there? He's saying, if you, if you wanna change a, a physical urge, a behavior, an addiction, you, you literally have to die to your own body. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. Your body has to become crucified to where my body no, no longer belongs to me and now belongs to Christ. I no longer have a claim over it. I no longer get to make all the decisions for my body, for my physical urges, for my desires. And I have to come under submission to Christ because I've been crucified. My body has been crucified to him. I come under accountability to others because it's not my own anymore. That's how we change. That's how it happens. Some people call that hitting rock bottom. I think the better term is just crucifixion. You just die to yourself and my body is no longer mine. I no longer trust myself with it and I put it under submission to God. That's how we change the cross. The cross is how anything really transforms. It's how people actually change. So what about this last one? In friendships, when it comes to friendships, anybody ever wanted to change something about a friendship they're in? Man, if I could just get this person or this relationship is just driving me crazy. 
What does uh, Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4 say? I'm going to read it to you here. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, uh, but each of you looking to the interests of the other. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And it goes on from there. What, what's he trying to say? He's saying the only way a friendship grows, the only way it changes, the only way it gets better, the only way it lasts the test of time is if you have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What did Christ Jesus do? He died for his friends. He said, no man has greater love than this than to give up one's life for his friends. Nothing out of selfish ambition, vain conceit, jealousy. I'm going to try to one-up. I'm always trying to, you know, compare and, and be up here. It's no, it's the cross. It's the cross. I humble myself. I look to, it's a friendship that lasts. A friendship that transforms is where two people are looking to the interests of each other. They're dying for one another. They're dying for one another. Did, did you see it? This is how everything in our lives change. This is how we grow spiritually. It's, a, it's the cross. So I want to just kind of turn this toward ourselves a little bit this morning with the time we have remaining. And the question I'd love to just ask, do you need to die to anything today so that you can really live? Do you need to die this morning to anything in your life so that you can really live? Is there an area of your life you, that you wish would change? Man, I wish this could change. I wish I could change. I wish they could change. I wish, I wish this whole thing would change. The cross. At some point we have to begin to look at ourselves and just ask the question, do I, is there something that I need to die to so that I can really live? I'll go first. You know what this is for me? I, I was preparing this message and I was really convicted um, as I, was, uh, as I was writing it, because um, right now, what I'm, what I'm really struggling with right now, I'm struggling to forgive someone right now. Um, candidly, there's somebody in my life who over the last few months just did something really messed up and wrong. And the point, I'm not gonna go into the details of it because the point of it isn't um, you know, what they did. The point of it is, I'm still mad. I can't forgive them. And I'm doing this thing where like, I'm sitting in my office working on a sermon or whatever. And I'll, all of a sudden I'll realize I've just been daydreaming about all the different ways I wish that they would suffer. <laughs> Does anybody else do that? You kind of lose track of time and all of a sudden you're like, what have I been thinking? Oh, I've been daydreaming about how I would like to see them suffer. That's what I've been doing. Now you say, well, what's wrong with that? I do that all the time. Here's the problem with that. The problem with that, uh, when you have unforgiveness in your heart, when you kind of harbor that and when you're constantly thinking about how you'd like someone else to suffer, uh, the problem is that when you do that, you have fixed your happiness to their unhappiness, right? You've attached your happiness to their unhappiness. So in my mind, the only way I'm going to be happy is if they're unhappy because I want to see them pay. And, the, and when something good happens to them and they're happy, well, then now I'm unhappy, right? Because I want to see them suffer. Well, that's no way to live. That's not going to bear good fruit in my life. It's not going to lead to a good, good relationships and good, um, you know, health in other areas. So, I, you know, I was even preparing this message and I'm literally like, man, there's, there's something I need to deal with here. And so I just began to say, God, what? it's the cross, right? It's the way anything changes. So God, what needs to die? What needs to die in me? And I feel like what he, what he said to me was, uh, Brian, your superiority needs to die. Your sense of superiority. Really, when you're talking about unforgiveness, uh, the reason we have a hard time forgiving is because we feel superior toward another person, right? 
And as long as I feel superior toward them, uh, I'm not going to forgive them. I'm going to stay angry at them. I'm going to look down at them. And it's going to be very, very hard for me to think about anything else because I'm going to feel superior and kind of over them. And so for me, it's kind of coming to this place of realizing that the only solution for me is to stop looking at them, stop looking at what they've done and the way they've wronged me. And now what really I, the only solution is to look at the cross and to look at Christ and what he did for me. Because when I do that, when I fix my gaze on the cross, instead of them, what I'm forced to reckon with is the intense level of depravity and shame and sin and brokenness that he paid the price for, for me. And when you do that, when you look at the cross, when you fix your gaze on the cross, and when you allow Jesus to remind you of the mercy and the love and the sacrifice that he made on your behalf. And when you make that your focus, when you pick up your cross daily and die, what happens is looking at the cross, considering what he did for you, eventually, if you look at it long enough, it will break the back of your sin, of your selfishness, of your superiority over other people. And you will change, it will change you. you get to this point where you realize the ground, like the old song says, the the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Nobody's superior. Nobody can one-up anybody else. So when we ask this question, what what needs to die so that you can really live? What needs to die so you can really live? I've been kind of setting you up uh, because the truth of the matter is you can't change it. You can't change in your own power and your own strength. If what you get out of this sermon, if you turn the the live stream off right now, if what you get out of this sermon is, man, I just need to go away. I just need to work harder to try to be more sacrificial like Jesus. I need to work harder to try to be more forgiving. I need to work harder on that addiction to just try to change it and be better. If that's what you got from this sermon, you missed the whole point. Because we can't change. The only way people change is when they fix their gaze on Christ. And when they let what he did for them penetrate their heart, when you take it into yourself, let it transform and break every area of sin and selfishness and greed and superiority in your life. And when that happens, you will change. It does change me. It does change us when we do that. People absolutely can change, but not on their own power. That's the lie. People can only change when they look at Christ on the cross. So would you bow with me? Just carve out a moment here. If you're watching online, I'd invite you to do the same. Just take a moment. If you're doing something else, just stop for a minute and just center yourself. I wanna just give you some space. Is there anything you wish would change in your life? Is there anything that needs to die so that you can really live? I wanna invite you right now in the next couple moments to fix your gaze on the cross and to literally bring that thing, whatever it is, to the cross, to Christ, the one who gave up his life for you, who sacrificed for you. He's not you know, condemning you this morning. He's not uh, sitting back saying, why aren't you working harder? Why haven't you fixed this yet? 
He's not looking on with this, you know, judgmental eye. He's literally saying, that's my child and you were worth dying for. And just bring that thing, whatever needs to change to the foot of the cross. for you right now, Jesus. The truth of the matter is every one of us has something. Something that deep down we know needs to change. We wish it could change. We, we want it to. And our confession this morning is we can't change it. So we just bring it to you, Jesus, at the foot of the cross. And this morning we just sit in the wonder of your love and your mercy poured out for us by your blood on the cross. Would you allow us to stay here until it changes and transforms us to the core of our being? Because we know that's the only hope we have of any sort of real change. We just invite you to do that. I want to invite you just to stay. So you can stay seated. Just stay in a posture of prayer and openness to the Holy Spirit. And uh, the band's going to sing this song. And the first part of it, just let, let the words of this song just wash over you. Let God speak to you. And then we'll respond. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in Him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com forward slash connect. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.